Good morning, Jundo. How are you today? Really good, but we got something we want to tell new listeners. Okay, go ahead. What is it? We don't like this podcast until about episode six. I mean, no, no, I, we like it, but you got to get to know us first. And then, so go listen from episode six to the end. And then when you know us and love us, and you will love us, come back to the beginning. Okay, great idea. Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. So, Jundo, here we are again. The first episode is out and people are listening to it. How do you feel about that? I feel that I can't believe we're here for a second time, but here we are. Why? You thought it was going to end after one episode? Well, the Buddha said all things are impermanent, but we've made it at least two episodes. Well, impermanent doesn't mean it ends after one episode. Impermanent could be 7,000 episodes. Let's shoot for 7,000 episodes. I'd be I kind of we, old when I get there. I'm not sure I want to do podcasts after seven Well, let's see. Episodes. Yes, once every two weeks. It'll take That'd a while. It'll be 20 years. Yeah, it'll be 20 years. So let's, But we're dealing with the big questions, Kirk. The big questions. And we got a lot of questions from listeners. We kind of primed the pump by asking people on the Tree Leaf Forum to submit questions. Just a reminder for new listeners, Tree Leaf is the online sangha that Jundo runs. There'll be a link in the show notes. Do you want to just say a quick word about Tree Leaf again? Tree Leaf is a great place. Okay, that's all we need to know. But the questions we got deal with issues that have plagued philosophers for centuries. The Buddha wrote sutras to deal with just what we're about to ask. Let me start with the first question, because I would like to read the sutra about this. One of our listeners asked, is a hot dog a sandwich? This is a question that has baffled the great minds of the world. Yeah, I want to read the Hot Dog Sutra. Please. No, no, I'm, you have to answer this. You, you were expecting me to answer? Uh, no, no, you have to answer this question. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Oh, is a hot dog a sandwich? Now, yeah. people are going to wonder why they have come to this Buddhist podcast for us to discuss, is a hot dog a sandwich? But I'm yes. going to tell you something. This is actually an issue that is right at the heart of our practice because it has to do with how the human mind classifies things, divides the world into this and that. Why is a hot dog not a sandwich? Is a sandwich a hot dog? And if we can figure that out, we can figure out some of the bigger questions like, why are we here? Birth and death. But let's start with a hot dog. You had a hot dog story to tell. I have a hot dog story to tell. I, I sold hot dogs one summer. A friend of mine bought a hot dog stand. Now, you know those hot dog stands you get in New York. They're stainless steel, and they've got wheels, and you push them around. They're actually quite complex. They have uh, like a propane tank inside to have a little stove to keep the water warm for the hot dogs. And they have refrigerations 
You change the water, what, once a month, something like we that? We change it every day. Um, they have refrigeration for things like soda, and then you've got those um, onions that you cook that you put on the hot dogs. And then there were those two round things that I always liked. That they're kind of like ensos when you, you know, you pull the thing out, and there's this metal rod that has either mustard or ketchup on it, and you kind yeah. of swipe it on the hot dog. I always liked that gesture of swiping mustard on a hot dog. Yeah. So I did this for a summer. My friend bought the thing, and he would go every morning and buy the fresh hot dogs from the hot dog distributor, and I would go out and work on a corner across the street from a hospital in Queens, New York, and it was a wonderful summer. How many people did you put in the hospital? Uh, none at all, but we got a lot of people coming out of the hospital to get hot dog sandwiches. But were they sandwiches? I never thought about this. I mean, how do you define a sandwich? First off, you're going to tell the hot dog vendor joke. This is a Zen podcast. Yeah, the hot dog vendor joke. Yeah, I, I said before the podcast that I wanted to say this one. A Buddhist goes to a hot dog vendor, and the vendor asks him, what can I get you? And the Buddhist says, make, make me, me one, one with, with everything. everything. Yes, and then... And so the, the guy laughs, and the vendor gives him his hot dog, and then the guy gives him a $10 bill to pay for the hot dog. And the vendor puts the bill in his pocket, and he goes around to tidy up his hot dog stand, and the Buddhist says, well, what about my change? He says, ah, change must come from within. Yeah, well, okay, If uh, after that joke, if anybody's uh, still it's, listening, yeah. uh, let's get down to it. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Now, you know... It's the human mind that makes these categories. And one has bread, one has meat. The other one has bread, the other one has meat. Are they the same or different? What we do as human beings is classify and judge. And it's not just hot dogs and sandwiches. It's me and you, Kurt and Jindo. It's America and Iran. It's birth and death. It's all the big issues. And it gets fuzzy. You know, is a hot dog a sandwich? The reason it's not clear is we're making it up between our ears. And I can prove this to you. Ask me to prove it to you. Well, why don't you prove it to me, Junda? Okay. Imagine a space alien comes who's got no hands and no mouth, right? Maybe he doesn't even, he's never even seen a hot dog. He comes here to Earth, he's traveled over unknown light years, and he comes here and we show him a hot dog. He's not going to know what it is. It only well, makes sense... Well, that's a fair point because it's something that's artificial, that's, that's man-made. Um, but let's say that you were to take, I don't know, um, a certain type of animal and put it between two pieces of bread. Then if the animal was the actual animal itself, they might like have... Like a real dog. Well, yeah, see, that's actually another follow-up question is why do we call it a hot dog? Um, but that we won't get into that. That's too deep for right. today. What, what's interesting about this is I happen to have studied applied linguistics. I have a master's degree in this. And I remember uh, a book that was talking about um, vocabulary, about words, about how we use them. And for, for most categories of words, we have what we would consider a prototypical word. Um, if I say the word bird to you, you think of what a bird looks like. Right? You think maybe of a pigeon, a sparrow or something, and it's, it's got legs and wings, and maybe you're thinking it's flying in the air. But an ostrich is a bird, an emu is a bird. If I say the word chair to you, you could think of, well, I'm sitting in an office chair, but it could be a wooden chair or a leather chair. We know that they're all chairs, but they're all different. And so when we talk about sandwiches, the real issue is 
is the hot dog something in the category of sandwiches? Because the prototypical sandwich is two pieces of bread with meat in between. But it doesn't have to be meat either. I know nothing about Greek philosophy, but what was it Aristotle who said there must be a perfect form of a hot dog somewhere? Which is really amazing he would say that because I don't think they had hot dogs in ancient I don't think Greece. they did. Or, or sandwiches. If you remember the story, it was some dude named the Earl of Sandwich who would make these bread and meat combinations when he was playing cards so he could keep his hands clean. Because he had hands. And the space aliens Good who point. have, no let's say, tentacles, they don't have hands, they would not need or know what a sandwich is. So they would not think of this in the same way. And on top of that, you know, there may not even be baseball fans, which is, you know, I always associate hot dogs with baseball, right? Yeah. And New York and Chicago. Now, I want yeah. to say the other thing about human beings is we classify and judge. For example, I will tell you now the definitive hot dog is, is of course, from New York not that abomination they have in Chicago with the lettuce and the tomatoes. Oh, that's just, this no, is, that's wrong. This is, of course, uh, a wisdom that is known to all. Passed that down the New York through hot generations. Dog is the best. Right. Yes. <clears throat> but the point is, as a Buddhist, how should we approach this? I would say, when in Chicago, eat Chicago hot dogs. Unless you're a vegetarian, which we'll get to in a second. Yeah, that's an interesting question, too. But there is something about our practice where we drop all classifications and divisions. We drop the idea from mind of sandwich. We drop the idea of hot dog. We drop from mind Chicago and New York. And we find some essence, some essence beyond all that. And that is a lot of what our practice is, because if you can drop these divisions and separations of what is better, is this better in Chicago better, New York better, if you first off drop the judgments and then you drop the classifications, sandwich, hot dog, life, death, Kirk, Jundo, you drop this all away, what are you left with? The great hot dog cart of the universe. I was going to say the great hot dog koan. There you go. There you go. Okay, well, you raised another question a second ago about vegetarians. Um, yeah. Th this is obviously a big issue among Buddhists about whether one should eat meat or not. Did the Buddha eat meat? Do we know if he or she ate meat? Yeah, well, you know, this is something actually that bothered me from last week because I was telling you that my cat refuses to eat carrots. Yeah. And I thought I'm a hypocrite here because, to be honest, like many Japanese priests, we eat some meat. I told you that a lot of the Japanese priests, we get married, we have sex, and we also are not purely vegetarian. I am not, I confess, which, you know, we're going to lose a lot of our readership if they're hardcore vegans, but... I'm a Buddhist priest, and I must confess, I had a little chicken for dinner. Now, the Buddha, did the Buddha eat meat? Historically, this may shock a lot of people. Historians, and you don't have to be a historian, just look in the old suttas. He ate meat under certain conditions. The Buddha taught that whatever was placed 
by donors in the begging bowl should be received. If they place rice, you eat rice. If they place a chicken, you eat a chicken. He did make certain restrictions on it. For example, uh, don't eat people, which I have no Fair problem point. personally. I have Fair no point. problem personally doing. I think there were some other don't eat monkeys, don't eat horses. He had a list of meat not to eat. But he also said don't request that the meat be killed for you. And you should not know that the meat was specifically butchered for you, but within those parameters, if you are given meat, you eat meat. Now, what happened was Buddhism went to China and the Chinese decided to be, how we should we say, a little holier than thou on the issue. More Buddhist than the Buddha. More Buddhist than the Buddha. And some of these sutras created in China, such as the Shurangama Sutra, said no meat at all because meat comes from sentient beings. You could be eating someone who was your mother. Remember that old song, be kind to your web-footed friends because <laughs> a duck may be somebody's mother. Remember that song? It's a yep. little dated now. Yeah. Yep. So whatever you're eating might be in a previous life your mom. You don't want to eat this. You want to know something? Even though I had chicken tonight, I realized that chicken might have been in a previous life my mother. I actually think that's right. And we should not be eating meat. Okay, this is a typical Zen paradox that you say we should not be eating meat, yet you eat meat. Well, let me tell you the situation in Japan, and I'll tell you what I think is going to be the, the solution to this. If you go to a Japanese Zen monastery, like I, I used to sit session, session is a long retreat at Sojiji, which is one of the major Soto monasteries here. They serve purely vegetarian cuisine called Shojin Ryori. It's a high Japanese cuisine. It's exquisite. But what it is, what the fantastic point about it is, they serve what looks like meat. You'll be in the meal and suddenly you're given this beautiful dish and you'll say, that's chicken or that's pork. And Did you get one that I, looked like a hot dog? No, they don't serve hot dogs. No, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's high Japanese cuisine, you know. What? So I say, you know, hey, wasn't that it? Wasn't that pork that you served? And they said, no, no, no. That's a kind of mushroom. We just make it look like pork. Okay. And the other, isn't that chicken? No, no, no. That's a kind of tofu. We do this thing to the tofu. It's just like chicken. And I always say, if it's just like chicken, if it's just like, aren't you cheating a little? You know, it's like saying, no, we're not allowed to have sex, but we we put out this thing that it was almost like we had sex, but we didn't actually have sex. So we had meat. We, it wasn't meat, though. So you just felt like it was meat. So I always thought it's, even that is a little hypocritical. But the Japanese priests, many times they'll leave the retreat. When I when you leave Sojiji, right down the hill, there's a McDonald's. And many times I've seen people go right from the retreat, right into the McDonald's, you know, get a Big Mac or whatever. Because you're, after a week of being in retreat, you're a little hungry. Some people are saying that plants are sentient beings as well, that trees communicate with each other. And I just read an article the other day I don't know how true this is, but that the smell you get from when you mow a lawn is a sort of a warning that grass sends out to the other plants. That sounds a bit ludicrous, but these things are alive. Why are they not sentient just in a way that we can't understand? 
Well, Master Dogen. Master Dogen was uh, the founder of uh, Soto Zen in Japan. He brought Zen from China to Japan, and he wrote uh, that he believed the mountains and the stones and the trees and the carrots, they're all sentient beings, right? And I understand that, but we still make a, a distinction between, for example, a horse and a dog and a human being and a rock. So eating a rock, well, you don't want to eat a rock, but eating you don't a want to eat a rock unless, is, you've, unless you have a dentist who needs business. But yeah. make the distinction between a horse, a dog, and a human being and an eggplant. Just because the eggplant doesn't move, does that mean it's not sentient? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes, it may be sentient in a way, but it would be a very subtle sentience. We don't know. But my dog, on the other hand, looks me in the eye and gives me the... I know there's... I get the feeling there's some feeling in there, so... Uh, I, I would not eat my dog. I would not eat my dog anyway because he's my beloved pet, and I, uh, I'm not going to eat my dog, but, I mean, a pig or a cow. Really, we, maybe we shouldn't be eating these creatures, and the, 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 the Chinese were right. But I'm going to tell you the solution in the future. Artificial meat. Yeah, I've been reading a lot about this. I have a friend who ate one of these Impossible Burgers recently, and said it tasted exactly like a hamburger, and he enjoyed it a great deal. I, it's just like what they're doing at the monastery with the tofu and the mushroom. If you eat something that tastes like meat, but it's not meat, it is made from vegetables, I think it's fine. Now, some vegans, you know, we're, every week we're going to lose listenership here because we're going to offend somebody. We've kind of yeah. made a promise to offend somebody every week here. This week, I'm sure we're going to get letters. From... Well, is it fair to say that we're offending? We're just trying to present a certain viewpoint. We're not being critical of anyone. I think it's fine that people are vegans and vegetarians. Um, I Many years ago, back in the 1980s, I ate vegetarian for quite some time. I ate macrobiotic. Back then, it was very difficult to travel around the world. When I came to Europe, it was very hard to eat uh, a good vegetarian meal anyplace. Now it's easy. I mean, I'm in the U.K., you go into any pub, there is always one vegan dish on the menu, um, so you can always get something to eat. But when I had a child in 1990, I didn't think it would be right to raise him without eating meat. Um, and so I still eat meat. Although, and I was telling you before the show, I live next to a farm. I have a wheat field across the road from me. As we drive through the landscape and I see these fields with lambs and sheep, I see these little lambs gambling in the field. And they kind of remind me of my cats, and sometimes we have a leg of lamb that comes out of the oven. And I've been thinking a lot about this recently. But it's easy to not want to eat the cute animals, isn't it? That is true. Uh, and a cow even is, is kind of cute. Uh, so if you, really, if you really look at a cow. Have you ever seen a monkfish? No, I haven't. A monkfish is a fish so ugly that when they sell it in markets in France, they take the head off. Oh, so that one. Yes, yeah. It looks like a big blob. Yeah, it's not a cute-looking fish, but it tastes really good. So I, I think there's a real distinction between the way we treat certain animals as different because we like them more. Horses, for instance. We remember Mr. Ed or whatever horse was in a movie. Pigs we don't know as much unless we've read Charlotte's Web when we were kids, and then we know about pigs. 
but certain animals we're less likely you would need a dog or a cat neither would i but there are countries like china where people do eat them well uh, this is uh, true and uh that uh, i've been to um such uh, countries and i i have witnessed this but i want to make sure that we're clear here for our vegetarian and vegan listeners that we honor and celebrate your lifestyle of avoiding meat. This is a wonderful thing. And as I said, I really think it should be encouraged more. And uh, I do have mixed feelings about it. Now, the Dalai Lama also eats some meat. He, he says he, he eats it for medical reasons, but the Tibetan Buddhists, for example, because there's not a lot of vegetation up there on the high plains, they have to eat meat. So a lot of Buddhists do not eat meat. But even the Dalai Lama said he would encourage the Tibetan people to reduce their meat consumption, and I feel the same way. Okay, let's get into some practical questions. One of okay. our listeners asked a question. I don't remember if it's a he or a she, but the person said, I'm really short-sighted or nearsighted. When I sit Zazen, should I keep my glasses on or take them off? It really doesn't matter because the point is, not to care. I, I just want to say that there are an awful lot of questions where you can use that answer where it really doesn't matter. So you're going to have to go a little bit further. I, I will go a little bit further. But the answer to so many questions on this podcast will be, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. You're going to ask me about politics. It really doesn't matter. Ask me about many things. Religion. It really doesn't matter. But about eyeglasses. Let's get specific. We sit in the Shikantaza Soto style of Zen Zazen meditation with our eyes a little open because we are not running away from the world or running toward it. We're not closing our eyes to try to escape something. So our eyes are a little open. So if we wear our glasses, maybe we see the world a little more clearly. But that's not important. If you don't have your glasses and things are a little blurry or you have your glasses, it really doesn't matter because you're not really thinking about what you're seeing. The most important thing is truly not to care. If you're sitting there and your glasses bother you, why are they bothering you? Forget about the glasses. Let them yeah, be. I I find that the biggest problem with glasses is that when you sweat, you, you and I both wear glasses, I can see. Um, we, when we record this podcast, we're talking over Skype, um, and we have the video on so we can see each other. We both wear glasses, and sometimes if you're sweating, your glasses move, and then you're tempted to push them, bridge back up on your nose and all. And I find it easier to just not have to worry about that. It's just one less thing to get in the way. You'll never see a statue of the Buddha wearing glasses because I happen to know he wore contacts. Ah, but let me tell you something. Your attitude towards your glasses tells you a lot about meditating. Because you know the expression, pay it, no, never mind? I should say it in a southern accent. Pay it, pay it, no, never mind. Or as they say in New Jersey, forget about it. <laughs> you know, you put the glasses on and you just drop them from mind. Most of the time they're there, but if you don't think about it, you don't even notice they're there. You know in meditation you should do that with your entire body? It's called dropping body from mind. 
your body's just there it's comfortable but if you don't obsess about it you don't think about it you just forget about it you know same with your glasses same with everything your whole body okay a question that came up on the tree leaf forum is it really essential to sit zazen every day if i don't am i no longer practicing zen uh, you uh, had a lot to say about that. I'll link in the show notes to the forum thread, but maybe you could just give us in the five minutes left in this episode. So what do you have to say about that? Okay. You know, sometimes you get the impression in Zen practice that you're supposed to meditate every day, maybe several times a day, maybe for an hour, four times a day. And I know people who do that. And it's wonderful if there is someone who meditates that much every day and it feels right and balanced in their life, I celebrate that. And there are also times that all of us, I think, should go for a retreat, like I mentioned at Sojiji. We should go for a week and get up at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning and meditate all day. We should do that because there are times that you we meditate intently to have that experience of really, really, really meditating and focusing on what we're doing. But you know something? The times we're not meditating, just as important. In a couple ways. Number one is, meditate for a little while, every day, and then you get up and you deal with the baby who's crying and the boss who's going crazy, the office and the traffic jam. That's the real stress of life where we need to bring this beautiful spirit of zazen of meditation off the cushion into dealing with the world you know in a way it seems so easy for those monks who are in a monastery up in the mountains that don't have babies or traffic or bosses you know i get in trouble for saying this but to be a monk in a monastery is is always considered even by the buddha the easier way he said leave the dusty world behind and come to the monastery because you'll cut off your connections to family. Don't have to worry about what your Uncle Joe is doing or your Aunt Mary. Don't have to worry about a job. You come to the monastery. and So anyway, those of us out in the world have the hard practice. And if you doubt me, the Buddha said it. The Buddha said the practice out in the world is not impossible. It's the hard practice. But anyway, let's get back to the point. So we're out there. you got to bring these teachings to where you have the fender bender, where the doctor gives you the bad diagnosis you don't want, where, you know, the phone is ringing and the someone's banging at the door. This is where we need to practice. But that's not the only time we got to get away from this practice. I think for all of us, and I'm going to include myself, there have been times that I've said enough is enough and I walked away from this for weeks, maybe months. I had enough. Didn't want to hear about the Buddha. Buddha Shmuda, I didn't want to hear about emptiness. I didn't want to meditate. I just wanted to eat junk food and watch bad movies on the TV. That was my life. But you know the difference is that's not quitting. It's the coming back that's vital. You walk away, you come back. You walk away, you come back. Maybe you go away for a couple days, you come and sit again. It's the going back and forth that really is all the difference in the world you know so don't feel bad if you quit for a little time and you put it down you're not a quitter if you get back on the horse and come back you see okay with that in mind let's hope that not too many people quit this podcast and not come back for the next episode 
Well, we offended the vegetarians. We offended... Okay. <laughs> we offended those who think hot dogs are sandwiches. But we didn't actually resolve the question of whether a hot dog is a sandwich, but we'll leave that up to our <laughs> listeners. And if you want to write in and tell us what you think about hot dogs as sandwiches, send us an email at podcast at zen-of-everything.com. And if you have any other questions, send us emails. Subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app. Rate us. Tell all your friends. And until next week, Roshi, where do we go next? I have no idea.